Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Greece, the home of myths and legends, also the setting of one of the most intense races of all time. The Acropolis Rally, 1983. Cars gunned around perilous mountain roads, kicking up waves of ancient dust, tearing past groves of olive trees and stone ruins like a lightning bolt thrown by Zeus himself. Reckless Greeks, perhaps confusing themselves for immortals, crowded the circuit, cheering on rally gods, living demigods like Hena Mikula, Walter Roll, Jimmy McRae, and Athena herself, Michelle Mouton. Greece was hot and dry that summer. Temps in the cockpit of the cars reached 160 degrees. The team to beat was Audi in their powerful all-wheel drive quattros that muscled through the course like Leonidas and his Spartans. On the other side were the rear-wheel drive Lancio 037s, prepared to battle with Audi like the deep voice guy with the nose ring. But suddenly, it started to rain. The gods were in a mischievous mood. Dust turned to mud, and suddenly the Quattros had a huge leg up on their competition with their four powered wheels. But who would end up taking home the trophy? The event was part of the 1983 World Rally Championship, a now legendary year of Group B action that saw Audi and Lancia fighting not just for the title, but for whose philosophy of racing was the greatest. What's more important, power or handling, muscle or style, German reliability, or Italian pizzazz. Today on Pass Gas, it's Rally 83, Audi and Lancia, dust and dirt, snow and fire. Group B at its grittiest and greatest. Pass Gas Podcast, it's about cars, it's not about sports. 
I've been beat. I've been really concentrating on beatboxing for the past year. <laughs> really well, welcome to Pass Gas, everyone. I'm your host, Nolan Nolan Sykes. Joined as always by my co-hosts. Uh, we got James Sandstorm Pumphrey over there. Party, party people, <laughs> party people, yeah, get it ready. I can't wait for foam parties to come back. It's going to be the foamiest summer. Get all that foam on this summer. Mm. Wow. And uh, <laughs> Joe, Joe the Foam Weber over there. Uh, foam it up. <laughs> Joe is the foam to my party, baby. <laughs> if he's not, if there's no Joe, I'm not going. Just like I'm, if there's uh, no foam at the party, I'm not going to show up. Okay. <laughs> if well, you want you're... the pump at your party, you best get some foam. Coconut flavored, preferably. <laughs> they have flavored foams? Yeah, I went. I've, I've, I've yeah, been let's hear about this. Party. Let's hear about Wait, it. Before we get to the eat story. The foam? Yeah. I would no, like no, to know. I've about been your... to one foam party. I was 15 years old, maybe okay. 16. That's too young for a foam party. It was spring break at Destin, Florida. It's the perfect age for a foam party because if you're any older at a foam party, you're an idiot. <laughs> uh, and it was coconut smelling. Whoa. It smelled like pina coladas. Hmm. I feel like if you ate that, you'd probably get the squirts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you, yeah, you just chug soap. <laughs> Wow. Well, you know, there's this one guy who's like, he, he's the foam king of Pensacola, Florida. And he's like, I've got my, <laughs> I've got my secret recipe, the perfect ratio for foam to smells. <laughs> I provide all the foam to the entire 305 area. I remember once my friend Ross and I were drinking stuff and he was like, he was like, you know what? When I, when I'm like, start, can start going to bars, I think my drink is gonna be like whiskey and dr pepper <laughs> and i remember even like at that age i was like yeah order that in a bar you idiot. yeah <laughs> yeah let me get a he's whiskey. on broadway he's on he's a great guy he's on broadway he's expecting a baby in june oh so congratulations shout out to ross lee kites one of my first car friends we used to get an emotional fights Oh. About whose car was faster. <laughs> Why didn't Get you just him? race? We did. <laughs> and my car was faster until he got a, a tune. He had a Mark IV Jetta with a 1.8T. And I had a Mark III VR6 GTI. And out of the box, my car was faster. But then he got a chip. Oh. And then he was faster. And then I developed a chip on my own shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, anyway, today we're not talking about Broadway. We're talking about... The Broadway of racing. Yeah, yeah, Group that's B. right. Group B. Um, have we talked... We've talked about Michelle Mouton before, so we've talked a little bit about Group B racing. You're going to hear a lot of names that you've heard in yes. this podcast and on the Donut Media YouTube channel. We're talking yes. about Walk to Roll. We're talking about Michelle Mouton. And just, just a heads up, uh, we're going to mispronounce every name. Um, <laughs> Yeah, because it's it's a bit we do. It's not because we don't actually know how it's pronounced. We do know how it's pronounced. We just want. Yeah, we do. It's not because we're like dumb guys without college. No, it's completely completely conscious. 
I think we have like two years of community college between us. <laughs> <laughs> between the three of us. Yeah, I have a certificate that I call a diploma. <laughs> <laughs> the only diploma I have is from heart rehab. <laughs> <laughs> My dog has more college experience than I do. <laughs> All right, well, I guess on that note, let's get into it. Group B is often referred to as the golden age of rally racing. It was introduced by the FIA in 1982, and its rules gave birth to an incredibly powerful and ultimately dangerous new era of rally with very few regulations to keep things in check. And just for those who haven't, uh, who you know, this might be your first episode, maybe this is the first thing you've ever heard about racing. Rally racing is not traditional circuit racing with multiple cars on track. Rally is point to point. Cars go one at a time and they're timed between the two points. And over the course of an event, the team with the lowest time wins. Just a little background for you. Homologation requirements, meaning the number of units per year that the car manufacturer was required to produce each year to enter a car, were reduced to a paltry 200 vehicles compared to the 5,000 cars a year in Group N and Group A. High-tech building materials were now allowed, as well as unrestricted turbocharged boost. Basically, while previous rally regulations had tried to keep the cars somewhat close to production versions, in Group B, they were almost completely unleashed. For example, in the year before Group B, the average rally car produced about 250 horsepower. But by 1986, the final year of Group B, that average was up to 500 horsepower. That's ridiculous. And that's the average. Yeah, yeah average. So you're going to have a lot of them above the median, right? Yeah. And that's Making that's big like, numbers. How much horsepower did like the RS500 have? Because that was like a tiny, tiny car. I don't Off know. Off the top of your head. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to guess 300. 560. 560? Okay. I'm going to say 340. All right. Let's see it. I probably guessed way too low. Whoa. Up up but. to four. Wait. Whoa. 650? No way. That wow. got to be right. No, that's right. What? That thing is like the size of an MR2. That's why they made it illegal. <laughs> <laughs> like that is like like the reaction to the the specs on group B cars is very often no way. <laughs> Like it was just no holds barred. It was the peak of dangerous racing. Mm -hmm. yeah. It'll never get that dangerous again. Like that makes like, the the peaking to Paris sound tame. It makes it. It's literally everything is tame compared to Group E racing. Group E racing killed fans. It was dangerous to watch. Yeah. <laughs> like, can you imagine if like the NFL? <laughs> like killed fans like if you went to an nfl game and your mom is like i hope you come home yeah a stray football hit a fan in the <laughs> eye yeah and his head exploded <laughs> it's like it's like rollerball yeah. LL cool j Dude, it's like laser tennis also starring ll cool j he had a pretty long golden age and speaking of golden age <laughs> the golden age of group A of group B rather was short. Like most golden ages, the group B era was short. By 1986, a number of prominent fatalities that James mentioned and the increased cost of racing 
in the group led manufacturers and the FIA to return to safer, less powerful cars. The group had earned the nickname Killer Bees. Uh, not killer as in cool, but killer as in these cars. Killer Bees sold 50 gold, 60 platinum. <laughs> these cars will kill you even if, they're, even if you're not driving them. As James mentioned, you can die by watching. But the danger is part of what made this era of racing so alluring. Another part were the stars who were driving in Group B. Among them, you had Tima Salonen, Henu Mikola, Walter Roll, and Michel Mouton. In 1982, the Audi Quattro emerged as the dominant car of Group B, with Audi drivers including Mikola, Mouton, and Stig Blomqvist dominating the season and winning the Constructors' Championship for Audi. However, it was Walter Roll driving for Opel who won the Drivers' Championship beating out Michel Mouton for the title. Roll drove the Ascana 400, a rear-wheel drive car which was widely considered outdated and underpowered for the time. But still, the car was capable of impressive feats in the hands of the German driver, a man who Niki Lauda once called a genius on wheels. That's a good soundbite to have. Yeah. I put that on every resume. Yeah, that's high, <laughs> high praise for sure. Yeah, it's like, I wouldn't even have a resume. I'd be like, Nikki Lauda called me a genius on wheels. Yeah, it's on your business <laughs> card. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Genius, like just the quote, genius on wheels, Nikki Lauda. <laughs> yeah. Very pretty type. Roll, born in 1947, had grown up the son of a stonemason in post war Germany. His parents had divorced when he was 10, a rare event in the Catholic community that the family was a part of. After that, Walter lived with his mom and at the age of 16, started working for a businessman who represented the interests of the Bishop of Regensburg. One of Roll's roles, say that, ten, say that 10 times fast, say, say, say that 10 times fast, 10 times fast, <laughs> was a, uh, one of Roll's roles was as a chauffeur for the man, the businessman, giving young Walter extensive driving experience at a young age. In that era, it was a lucky and rare chance to get driving experience, especially for a young guy with a blue-collar background. Also giving Roll an edge was that he was a true athlete, in a time before professional drivers were expected to be athletes. He skied extensively, and was even part of an exclusive skiing club called the Schneeferschur. German. <laughs> German for... Schneeferschur, dude. Schneeferschur, dude. <laughs> you you uh, schnee? Was, yeah, dude. I, sh I schneeferschur. <laughs> <laughs> That's German for snow explorers. And even though his contract stipulated that if he injured himself skiing, he'd lose his salary, Walter still skied throughout his career, earning a reputation for skiing as fast as he drove, which is another thing I'd put on my business card. That guy's skiing at 140 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> he was also into cycling, uh, riding for thousands of miles a year alongside pros who had competed in the Tour de France. Safe to say that throughout all of his rally career, he was probably in better shape than any of his competition. Well, despite Walt's fitness, in 1983, his opponents had what seemed to be a distinct advantage. They sat behind the wheel of a fearsome rally machine, the Audi Quattro. The Quattro made its debut at the 1980 Geneva Motor Show. The concept was inspired by the development of the Volkswagen Iltis, German for polecat. Ooh. What's a polecat? That's a skunk, baby. Is it? Yep. Weird. It's a skunk. Polecat is a skunk. Yes, a sir. stinky skunk. Skunks have other other attributes besides being stinky. It's a it's a 
it's a defense mechanism. They don't do it all the time. It's when they either get run over or uh, attacked by another animal. Their their farts smell like really good weed. Uh, it was inspired by the German Iltis, German for polecat, the stinky skunk. It was a four-wheel drive front-engine military vehicle that had been developed for the German army. The government had chosen the car over the more expensive Mercedes G-Wagon, and its versatility and practicality gave VW the idea to develop an Audi version for rally racing. The Iltis most notably performed well in snow and mud, a definite advantage for several of the more challenging world rally events. The Quattro sported a 2.1 liter inline five that sent power to all four wheels via a six speed transmission. I am hyped on five cylinder engines today, boys. <laughs> I gotta say, my golf is running. Nice. It, uh, did, I, a, did I see it's at the dyno already? No. <laughs> it will be soon. By the time that this podcast airs, it will be at the dyno and Hopefully on a truck back to my house. I think you should fly to North Carolina and drive it back. I think I don't want to wear a mask for 12 hours. <laughs> the Iltis, by the way, is kind of kind of funky looking. I don't know if you guys have seen pictures of it. Um, Whoa. It's like a Jeep. It's like a, it's like a Jeep, sort of. It's like I mean, a it's Jeep a, and a VW thing had a baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, dude. I would... This... Goes on my list of if I ever have a summer house, this could be my little freaking town car. But there's one catch to the Iltis. Rally didn't actually allow four-wheel drive. <gasps> huh. Knowing they had a killer four-wheel drive car, Audi lobbied the FIA for a rule change at the last possible minute, squeaking in under the wire and in a sneakily low-key way paving the way for the Quattro to become the first car to take advantage of the rule change Audi had lobbied for. Didn't they like, or the, the legend, legend has it, is that at like a FIA kind of rule meeting where the manufacturers were agreeing on regulations, right before closing the meeting, uh, that's when Audi brought up the proposed <laughs> rule change and everyone was just like, ah, we've been here like for two days. Let's yeah. Just yeah, according to it. Jeremy Clarkson, they like waited till everyone was putting their jackets on <laughs> and then they were like, Oh, just like real quick. What if we could do four wheel drive? And everyone's like, fine. Fucking whatever. My Uber's here. They're like the kid in class that asks if we have homework. Ah, yeah. Hate that kid. Yeah. And I'll find you one day. We'll be right back with more of this story. But first a word from our sponsors. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. 
which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe the weirdest thing about the Quattro was its name, Italian for four. Well, it made logical sense. It seemed odd hmm. for such a German company to borrow yeah. the language of its competitor nation in naming its car. You wouldn't expect to see a Lancia Launchwagen, for example. Over a decade of production, nearly 12,000 Quattros were built, an impressive number given that many of its competitors were squeaking by with producing the homologation minimums. Still... The car was not without its critics. Motorsport noted that its design valued brute force over all else. It was, quote, tough, strong, built like a tank. That's what I say about Nolan. Basically putting function over form in all ways. Some of the Audi team members even took to referring to the Quattro as the electronic tractor. A purpose-built utilitarian machine built for a single job. Winning rallies. Uh, tilling dirt. 1983 was the second year of Group B. Audi was now the reigning manufacturer champion, and they chose not to mess with their winning formula, keeping Henu Mikola and Michel Mouton as their top drivers, both behind the wheel of the Audi Quattro A1. Elsewhere in the sport, there were changes. Walter Roll, the driver's champion, decided he could find a superior ride to the Opel Ascana 400. He had also refused to appear in a commercial for the automaker's tobacco sponsor, apparently souring his relationship for the team. The German fitness freak instead signed with Lancia, an Italian team with a long rally history. Lancia, founded in 1906 by Fiat racing drivers, had rally built into its DNA. Before the establishment of the World Rally Championship, they had won the final international championship for manufacturers, and in the WRC era, they had won the constructor's title three times during the 1970s with a car called the Stratos. Oh, yeah. Or Stratos. The shortest rally car. The Stratos was designed by Bertone and matched radical Italian design with the grit of rally. This thing is a little spaceship. Uh, it looks like a poly, what is that, polygon from Pokemon. Very angular machine. Uh, in 1982, Lancia had paired with Martini Racing, a team financed by Count Metello Rossi de Montalera, the owner of the Martini and Rossi Distillery. You know, they make little, what is that? Simple, not simple syrups. What do they uh, make? What's that called? Vermouth. vermouth. Sweet vermouth. Weren't you like, I remember when you did a video on them and you were like, I just went to the store and bought Martini and Rossi and it's so cheap. I mean, yeah, it is cheap. It's like cheap vermouth. I did not know that. You know, you expect... This yeah, because it looks fancy on a race yeah, car, and yeah, then this, you get to the store, and it's like on the bottom shelf. In addition to uh, fine vermouth and car racing, Martini was also known for sponsoring a team of powerboats that sported the ironic name <laughs> Dry Martini. 
<laughs> boats, winning the Powerboat World Championship in 1973 and 74. Because boats? <laughs> <laughs> it's dry. Uh, the martini livery was iconic and still is, featuring a pattern of blue and red stripes that flowed playfully around the body of all their race cars and, I assume, racing boats. One of the best liveries ever. Yeah, it's like, I mean, it's like, it's iconic. You know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's lasted for a reason. Uh, by 1983, the Audi Quattro success made everyone realize that four-wheel drive, or all-wheel drive, was the way of the future in rally. But Lancia had gone a different way, and they were sticking with it. Their Lancia 037 was a mid-engined, rear-wheel drive car, and in most respects, it couldn't be more different than the Quattro. This thing is like an evolution of the, of the Stratos formula. I think, I think it's a cooler looking car in my opinion. It's super cool. And just reading this makes me want to drive a rear wheel drive car in the dirt. Just mm -hmm. huck it. Get squirrely. Get sendy with it. <laughs> oh, dude. We should, we should make a shirt that says huck it and get squirrely. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, the design was a collaboration between Abath, the performance division of Fiat, and the Italian design studio Pininfarina. Loosely based on the Lancia Monte Carlo road car, the body was sleek and race car-like, less beefy and boxy in comparison to the Quattro. It featured a so-called double bubble roofline, a carryover from Lancia's designs of the 50s and 60s. While the Quattro was 2,600 pounds, the weight of the Lancia was significantly less at 2,100. 500 pounds less. The Italian car was also about a foot shorter than its German counterpart. So it's lighter, shorter, much shorter wheelbase, more nimble, I'm assuming, but rear-wheel drive. Yeah, I'm sure the all-wheel drive system was pretty heavy. I would assume so, yeah. According to Jeremy Clarkson's feature on the rally in Grand Tour Season 2, which is worth a watch if you haven't seen it, and if you have, this is probably sounding a little familiar, Lancia employed a series of shady tactics to sneak the 037 through the various regulatory hoops the FIA put in its way. This included trickery to get past the regulations on how many cars needed to be manufactured, basically driving cars from one site to another to get them counted twice. The cars also used suspiciously weak roll cages, helping with the weight of the car, but probably not honoring the spirit of the safety requirements. The cars were notorious for getting crushed like soda cans whenever they got in a crash, a big difference from the nearly indestructible rally cars built by many of its competitors. The fragility of the car had cost Lancia in 1982 when they struggled to match Audi and Opel's reliability. Between the Italian flashiness and the underhanded tactics, avowed Catholic and proud German Walter Roll was a hilarious choice to helm this team. He was also perhaps the most humble man to ever call himself a race car driver. He didn't even want to drive in all the races, although it would probably greatly help his chances of winning another driver's championship. But he didn't care to win the championship again. In Walter's words, quote, I want to be a normal man, not something special. If you're always in the newspaper and everywhere, you're never alone. People standing in front of your house, I don't like. <laughs> Went from That's a great German quote. to like, yeah. That's a that's a a sound clip of him. Yeah, we uh, we found it, isolated it, isolated it, licensed it legally, <laughs> and are using it. As the season began, the director of motorsport for Lancia, an Italian by the name of Cesar Fiorio, worked to gain every advantage for his team. 
Knowing that the more delicate Lancia car fared well in better conditions on smoother roads, at the season opener in Monte Carlo, Fiorio had his team salt the roads in advance of certain stages and even pressured local officials to maintain the roads better, not out of any safety concern, but in hopes of gaining an advantage. They also employed a unique strategy. Since portions of certain stages transitioned from rocky gravel to road, Lancia arranged for their support team to quickly change the Lancia's tires mid-stage, an innovation that technically didn't violate any rules and gave the team's drivers a distinct advantage. This guy in my head looks like Wario. Uh-huh. Like he's out just like sprinkling salt on the road. Like, Yeah. <laughs> he looks like Wario and um, probably looks like uh, Waluigi. Waluigi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Walter Roll had won the event in 1981 in a front-engine rear-wheel drive Fiat and again with his Opel Ascana in 1982. In 1983, he made it three years in a row with three different cars, winning the first race of the year for Lancia. Aiding Roll was the absence of snow at a typically wintry event, a stroke of luck for the Italians, whose other car, driven by Finnish racer Marku Allen, took second place in the event, forcing Audi's Stig Blumquist to settle for a third place finish. Lancia was off to a hot start in the cold weather opener of the season. But for the next race in Sweden, where snowier weather was predicted, Lancia skipped the event, <laughs> handing Hanu Mikola of Audi the win. At the Rally de Portugal, crowds closed in on the roads, giving the event a hectic feel. Motorsports reporter at the rally could only shake his head saying, quote, the technical organization of the Portuguese rally is fine, but the manner in which the unruly crowds are allowed to run wild points to inexcusable negligence on the part of the organizers. Stop. We have spoken to them about this on many occasions. Stop. And the answers have never been more than a shrug of the shoulders. Stop. If they want a lesson in precision stage control, they should go to Finland to see how it's done there. Complete stop. <laughs> This is 1983. It's not 1883. I'm looking at footage of this right now. And they, I mean, this is like the archetypal uh, Group B footage. These guys are just right up next to the just track. Just trying to touch the car. Hundreds of people. Yeah. Like, I'm not joking. Like, people would try and slap the cars. My God. Uh, one time I was on the school bus when I was a kid. And uh, <laughs> I, slapped, I slapped a tree. And oh. like it just hurt really yes. bad, and immediately I was like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, right." <laughs> We're going forty-five. <laughs> Lancia was expected to gain an early advantage in the paved section of the rally, and while they did, the Audi Quattros were close behind, closer than the Italians had expected. They were like, "Mamma mia, that the car is a way closer than I thought she would be." That was a quote. Uh, worse for Lancia, three stages were canceled due to a strike of glass workers who blocked a river-spanning bridge and shortened the portion of the event where Lancia stood to gain an advantage. That's awesome. Uh, they made they made just a big glass like barrier. <laughs> yeah, they, 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 it was like, it was two guys yeah. holding a big pane of glass, and they were like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Stig Blomqvist. Of Audi gained the lead, but his rear differential seized, leaving him with only front-wheel drive. Ooh. He, yeah. 
more like wrong wheel drive. Am I right? JK, I have a front wheel drive car and it's fun. Uh, he pitted, but the team lacked the spare part. His teammate, Mikola, took the lead with Walter Roll in second ahead of Michel Mouton. Roll had various setbacks, including losing his headlights at one point and finishing the last few miles of a stage with a flat tire. In the end, it was Mikola in front with Michel Mouton edging out Roll by less than a minute for the second place spot. It was now clear the season would be a duel between the German and Italian teams. At this point, it was Hanu Mikola of Audi who led the field. The 41-year-old Finn had been rallying professionally for 20 years with 12 WRC event wins and dozens of podium finishes. Although he was highly consistent, he had never won the championship, and many saw the 1983 season as his last chance to do so. For the past five years in a row, he'd finished either second or third in the championship. And now he committed to a grueling schedule, all 12 of the year's WRC events, in a last-ditch attempt to win it all. He'd left a well-established Ford team in 1981 to take his chances in an unproven Audi, a decision that seemed to have paid off. The biggest challenge for Hanu was Walter Roll, a guy who didn't even seem that interested in being a champion. With the storyline for the season in place, the circus moved to Kenya for the Safari Rally. It was an event that, in the words of one reporter, had to be measured not in seconds, but in minutes. Where the Swedish rally was 290 miles long, the safari rally was 3,128, more than 10 times the distance. The epic length of the course understandably favored the more reliable Audi cars, to the point where, once again, Lancia simply chose not to compete. I think they can go much further at the safari rally because, like, the land is a little bit more flat. Of course, there are hazards and all that kind of stuff, but in comparison to some more technical courses, the the hazard is probably not as high. It's more of like endurance than uh, yes. technical ability. Yes. The next race was the Tour de Corsa in France. The rally's nickname is the 10,000 Turns Rally, taking place on twisty mountain roads that are highly dangerous, but also completely paved. Lancia dominated, with Marku Allen and Walter Roll taking first and second, respectively. Interestingly, Atlantia 037 also took third place, but it was driven not by a Martini racing driver, but by Artico Vudafieri of Jolly Club, a scrappy and independent Italian racing team. The car's livery sported similar shapes to the Martinis, but in green and orange instead of blue and red. We found a website that tells the tale of the founding of the Jolly Club, but it appears to be written by an Italian person with the help of Google Translate, so bear with this quote here. Uh, it could have seemed the beginning of a horror film. After all, the environment is that one, but the history that we are about to tell is a completely different. That evening of 11th February 1957, as already told uh, in Milan, it was indeed a cold, and the fog, she covered everything, creating a dark in silent atmosphere. Almost all of the cafes was closed. <laughs> no espressos. <laughs> with a shot of a tonic water. And the people in the street were a very few. But not the Giannino! 
There was a big ferment of people there, and the owner that same evening had been informed by Mario Angelioni to reserve a table away from the confusion because they had to discuss a rather delicate matters. After the 8 p.m., the table companion arrived. A supper amongst friends, a glass of wine, four chatters, a signature on a contract, and a handshake, and a boom. She goes, the foundations of the future Jolly Club team, she had been laid. A race team constituted by 18 friends whose rules, most of all, was based on passion, loyalty, friendship, and amusement. <laughs> all managed with a true professionalism. The Jolly Club rally team only yeah, very very good James. Subtle. The Jolly Club the Jolly Club only lasted for a few years in the 80s but after that description consider us fans. So they're just like <laughs> So that was all to say that they ate spaghetti and signed a contract. Yeah. <laughs> hey man, flowerly language, very good. As far as Audi versus Lancia went, it was the Italians who now led the manufacturers cup by a 2 point margin. And with that, the series reached Greece in the Acropolis Rally, where Michel Mouton had won in 1982, and it was considered the favorite going into it. But it was there that the season started to take a strange turn. The Audi Quattro, whose strength was supposed to be its reliability, started to fail. Mikola was in the lead, but then the lid of his trunk broke. This led to his oil cooler getting disconnected. Mm. The Audi support team was in disarray, and apparently couldn't help. Eventually, the car broke down completely, forcing Mikola and his co-driver to walk the last five miles of the stage. Oof. Ouch. Walter Roll's supposedly delicate Lancia went the distance, giving him another victory and a lead in the driver's championship over Mikola. As a motorsport article from 1984 put it, quote, If nothing else, the 1983 World Rally Championship helped disprove two myths. Stop. The first, the Germans are without exception coldly and clinically efficient. Stop. The second, that Italians are always in turmoil, always having a crisis. Stop. The championship would have seemed to indicate that there had been a complete role reversal. Ha ha ha. Stop. Uh, you almost went into Waluigi. <laughs> <laughs> in Greece, that Freaky Friday energy was in full effect. We'll get back to more past gas, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This is where the story gets even weirder. While the World Rally Championship was a series that consisted of 12 events, only 10 of those events counted towards the manufacturer's championship. Racing is so dumb. There's <laughs> just so many arbitrary rules. Yeah, and... it's just like, it's the coolest thing. It's the coolest hmm. thing, but every form of racing has too many confusing rules that like require you to be an expert like you have to study so much like you can watch basketball 
and be like, oh, those guys are trying to get that into there. Tight. I can watch that. Football. Those guys are trying to get over there. Baseball. That guy's trying to get around. Cool. <laughs> uh, oh, they want more guys to get around. Nice. <laughs> and the, and but then there's there's like little things within that that you can be like a super huge fan. Yeah. But like racing isn't even like, oh, that guy's first. I guess it is. I don't know. The points are dumb. The fact that there are points are dumb. Two events, Sweden and Cote d'Ivoire or Ivory Coast, only counted for the drivers' championship. Lancia declined to compete in both of these events, as well as the Safari Rally in Kenya, giving Hanu Mikola a significant advantage in the drivers' championship. In a season where Audi and Lancia drivers occupied a stunning 30 of the 36 total podium spots, the other teams were hardly even a factor. So, while by the end of the season, Hanno Mikola was pulling away in points and appeared poised to clinch the Drivers' Championship, Lancia's surprising wins in Monte Carlo and Greece had kept them in the race for the Manufacturers' Championship. The next race was in New Zealand, and it was there that Audi's luck went from bad to worse. Michel Mouton had been shut out of a win thus far in the season. It was clear that Audi's car was not the reliable beast it had been in 1982. When Michel Mouton said that the car gave you so much confidence you thought you could fly. In Greece, only one of the Quattros had even finished the event. What was clear in New Zealand was that when the Audi car was functioning, it was the fastest car. <laughs> but once again, the car proved unreliable. The engine of the car Michel was piloting failed, costing her not only her first win of the season, but completely shutting Audi out of scoring even a single point in New Zealand. Meanwhile, Walter Roll won his third event, once again lagging behind in his Lancia until Audi's own mistakes cost them the win. At the next two races, Hanu Mikola finally found his stride, winning in Argentina and Finland, putting himself within spitting distance of the driver's championship he had dreamed of for decades. Walter Roll, for his part, wouldn't even go to Finland because he didn't like the course's notorious jumps. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the jumps <laughs> in his words quote if I wanted to fly I would have been a pilot ooh roasted <laughs> Finland <Yeah>. just got <laughs> roasted <laughs> Finland just got rolled <laughs> for her part Michelle Mouton was doing more swimming than flying the Finland event was called the 1000 Lakes Rally and when her quattro caught fire mid-race she put the blaze out by intentionally driving her car into one of the lakes. Hell yeah, oh, dude. dude cool. She's cool. She's cool as hell. I want to arm wrestle Michelle Mouton. <laughs> like, I wish like Michelle Mouton was like my parents' friend. Yeah. And like her and her husband and her like navigator would like we'd go to a cabin every year, like on vacation every year. Like she's like my vacation aunt. And like we started arm wrestling when I was like a little child and she would just like crush me and then when I was like 14 I beat her for the first yeah. time and then I eventually it would go from like you know when I was a kid she'd let me beat her and then when I was an adult and she was like an older lady I would joke and let her beat me that's what I wish my relationship with Michelle McCullough was. <laughs> so you've thought about this before it seems like um, yeah I really wish Michelle Mouton was like an aunt figure yeah. in my life yes one like the the cool aunt that gives you like a knife for christmas yes yeah, yeah 
yeah, she gives me she gives me Christmas presents. We don't talk a lot. Obviously, we see each other every summer, um, mm-hmm. but always a Christmas gift, and it's always a gift that like my mom is like Michelle. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and she would like you know give me a sip of her, of her wine because yeah. she drinks she drinks wine because she's French. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like a great fantasy. <sighs> it would have been great. Well, anyway, the World Rally Championship now <laughs> reached San Remo in Italy, the second to last race to count towards the Manufacturers Championship before the RAC Rally in Great Britain, the traditional season-ending event. The race, which spanned from the French border to the coast of Tuscany, was a mix of paved and dirt track. Just like in previous races, the paved section, which came earlier, gave launcher drivers a distinct advantage. Excuse me. Once again... The Audis were plagued by a mysterious failure, including yet another fire under the hood of Hannah Mikola's car. The heck. Although Audi caught up a bit in the dirt, it wasn't enough, and Lancia captured all three podium positions. The dominant result meant that Lancia had sealed the manufacturer's championship. The scrappy Italian team had not just beaten the Germans, they had dominated, winning despite not even entering the Safari Rally earlier in the season. Somehow, the roles had reversed, and Audi had turned out to have less reliable cars. Lancia declined to even enter the cars in the RAC rally, which did give Audi a major consolation prize. Hanu Mikolov won the Drivers' Championship handily, but Walter Roll had only competed in half of the season's events. The Lancia 037's dominance was the end of an era in rally. No two-wheel drive car would ever win a rally championship again. Although Audi and all-wheel drive had lost the battle, they would win the war. In 1984, Walter Roll joined Audi alongside Hanu Mikola, Stig Blomqvist, and Michel Mouton, and the super team dominated the field, easily winning the Manufacturers' Championship. Hanu Mikola died in February of this year at the age of 78. Walter Roll is still alive with a position at Porsche as a senior test driver for their road cars. That's fun. The famously selective and non-competitive champion still drives fast, just not on dirt. A cool footnote is that Roll and Mikola were both inducted into the Rally Hall of Fame the same year, 2011. Class of 2011, you know what I'm saying? That's me. Uh, although Lancia is still around as a company, they haven't competed in the World Rally Championship since 1992. They make one car and it's super weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's very what's bizarre. it called? It's called like the asterisk. Ypsilon. Ypsilon. The asterisk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the asterisk. It's called Page Break. (laughs) Despite the long absence, however, they still have more manufacturers' championship titles than any other car maker. Audi, similarly, has not competed in WRC for many years, but for both companies, their rally heritage is clearly a great source of pride. I mean, that's like the whole thing of Audi is like all-wheel drive, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of like their thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's called Quattro. (laughs) Read a book. Quantro. <laughs> uh Casey, my girlfriend has a uh a, a Q3 with Quattro. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> when we started dating, I was like, Yeah, your car has all wheel drive. And she's like, She's like, Really? And I'm like, Yeah, that's what Quattro means. And she's like, Oh, I thought that was speakers. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Yeah, they 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 often advertise the speakers on the back of the car. <laughs> yeah. What Audi and Lancia's year of rivalry underscores is that our preconceived notions about the culture of certain car brands or that of specific nationalities is just that, notions. 
and not fact. In this story, the Italians turned out to be the reliable ones. The Germans were a mess. And Walter Roll, the reigning champion of rally, didn't even really want to win again. He, he didn't want people standing on his lawn. And who could blame him? Yeah, I hate when people stand on my lawn. Yeah, get off my lawn. Yeah, so anyway, that's the story of 1983 and the WRC. And you've been listening to PG, that's Past Gas, the show that asks questions that you want answered. This is a fun story, a really, really great uh, season in an awesome sport. Yeah, we've, I mean, since we started this podcast, we've gotten nonstop comments about how we got to do a story on the 037. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a good, uh, good intro to that hey if you want to get in touch with us here at past gas past gas at donutmedia.com hit us up with your questions or uh you know ooh, fan fan fiction uh, you want to write s- some past gas fan do not fiction send any do not either send, no fan fiction that involves uh joe nolan uh thomas and bridget and i or um fan fiction like that uh you know involves any buddy from automotive history like you know, Carol Shelby was a teacher at Hogwarts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, follow uh, my boys at James Pumphrey, at Joe G. Weber. Follow me at Nolan J. Sykes. And if you liked this podcast, follow it uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's yes. free and yes. it just makes uh, listening to us again uh, easier. You don't have to search for it. You can even turn on notifications so you get a little text. Huh. Is it Monday already? All right, well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, be kind. Rewind. I love you. And keep it juiced. See you next time. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.